morning. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. It's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, great, you know, it seems as every week there are more and more people in the pews, so uh, that is a, a great thing to see. And welcome, of course, to everyone worshiping with us online as well. Uh, we are so glad to worship our King Jesus this morning together. Uh, this morning, I will be calling us to worship uh, through the reading of Scripture from Re- Revelation chapter 4. Verses 4 through 11, and if you would please stand for the reading of the scripture. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were born were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was at it, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray. Lord, may we give you honor and praise this morning. May we throw our crowns down before you, the worthy King, as we worship Christ our Savior. Amen. Remain standing, if you will, while we sing Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Holy, 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 Lord Almighty, 
lets me share with you a special request that I received this week. Brother Roy Browning has been a member of Broadway Baptist for many years, and uh, you know he's in poor health and has had a lot of surgery. On the 30th of September, he is scheduled in VA hospital for on Cooper Drive for a surgery that is very invasive and will last for about six and a half hours. He'll be in the hospital at least six or seven days. He wanted to thank our church family for the many prayers that you have offered up for him and asked that we continue to remember him in prayer. And I'm sure there are others in our church family that have uh, needs. And so as a church family, we, we will pray for them. Amen? Shake your head. We will pray for those people and encourage them. We know how special prayer is. Holy Father, thank you again this blessed day for the privilege of gathering with brothers and sisters of faith here in this special place that's holy to us and it's holy also to you as your people gather and worship and praise you. We come with many praises and thanks unto you, health and strength and stamina, all the things that you bless us with. And Father, we come this morning praying for Roy, the other folks that are ill in our church field, some in the hospitals, some recuperating at home, some going through the process of grief. God, we pray that your comforting hand may be about them, that there just may be a special peace to overcome them and guide and direct. And Father, we want to pray for our fellowship. We ask, Lord, your divine guidance, a lot of uh, changes in the days that lie ahead. Direct every step, our Father, as it would bring glory and honor unto your name. We pray for our pastor as he proclaims your word this morning. May your spirit have freedom to work in our hearts. May we be open to receive and to respond unto the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Father, have your way. We pray for our nation. Father, we're in turmoil. We're in confusion. And we pray, God, your hand be upon our leaders. May we be obedient unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to sing an exciting hymn, I think. How majestic is your name? Sing it with me. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name.
hearts this morning as we serve you, as we listen to your word from our pastor. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're seated, let me remind you that we do have the opportunity to give online. There will be a text to give uh, notice that comes across your screen if you're watching from home. And we are certainly glad that you are watching from home this morning. We have a really fine audience here in the building. We're glad to have you here. I'm excited to have Judy and Mary from Maysville. These two ladies have blessed us countless times over the years. And they're here this morning, and we're going to listen to them sing. They are sisters. You know them. And I'm excited to have them sing for us today.
that all my sins have been forgiven and all my hope truly is in that Savior of ours, that wonderful Savior, wonderful, merciful counselor. He is everything to us. Um, 2 Samuel 22:33 says, God is my strength and my power. And he truly is. I don't know how this world gets through these times, especially like this, without him. He truly is wonderful to us.
All right, I want to invite the children up forward. We have children's sermon this morning, and today we have a special guest leading our children's sermon. Uh, school starts on Wednesday, so if you're a child, for those that don't know, if you're a child, we do children's sermon before the regular sermon, and school starts on Wednesday, although it's online school, so all the children want to come on down. David, I'm grab a microphone. Miss Mindy Stidham is coming on up, and Miss Mindy teaches kindergarten, so she starts school with me. I put a, I put a, um, a, a microphone right here for you, and um, the, the candy's there on the front. Mindy teaches kindergarten at Brecken, no, Brecken, Breckenridge Elementary School, and she's excited about Wednesday with first day of school, so she has a very special children's sermon today. So, all right, Mindy, got the mic. About, give me a little more excitement than that. Oh, that was much better. Thank you. How many of you are excited about starting school on Wednesday? Okay, that's about right. The girls are excited. The guys are like, nah, I'm not ready to go. I get it. My own two are kind of like not wanting to go to school either. What is it about school? I know, um, Esther, what is it about school that you raise your hand, you're ready? What are you, what is it about it? Tell me something that you are excited about doing. I'm excited to meet my new teacher. I already know her name, but I don't exactly know her as well. But I know her name is Miss Springate. I think Miss Springate's excited to have you too. What, now Benjamin, you didn't raise your hand. So what, what's going on about school? Are you nervous? What are you nervous about? Well, what about school? Like, are you nervous about your classmates? Are you nervous about the routine? What is it? I don't know. You're just nervous, right? Okay, you didn't raise your hand either. What, what, what is it about school for you? Are you scared? Is it gonna be different this year? How's that? Are you staying home? You want to stay home? Are you going to school? Are you going to get to go to the building? You, you don't know yet. Is he going to school in the building or is he going to stay home? Oh, we'll talk later about how that's going because I'm, I'm curious. All right, ladies up back here, you, you're not escaping. What are you about school? Tell me something about school. I talk loud. What are you nervous about? You raised your hand, you're excited, so that's good, but what are you nervous about? Because all the children are there? I don't blame you, I get a little nervous with the kids too. <laughs> what, what, you raised your hand, what are you excited about? Are you excited or are you nervous? Are you scared, what? You are? And what grade are you going into? I thought you were going into first grade because you were in my cubby's group, weren't you? Okay, so they were telling us that they're nervous, they're scared, but guess what? You can be all those things, but just know that God's going to be with you, no matter what it says in Joshua 1.9. So let's listen to what Joshua says. 
He says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Courageous means like, I can do this. You got it. Don't be afraid. So some of you are afraid because that's kind of what nervous means. Don't be discouraged. So like, Benjamin, you're a little scared. You don't really know what to expect. Well, don't be discouraged. Just be excited about it. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So think about this. Esther's excited. She's ready to go to school. She's nervous about her teacher that. You're just not really sure. You're nervous. But guess what? God's going to be with you no matter what. So if you get nervous or you're scared or even if you're excited, just know that God's standing right there saying, I got you, Esther. This is going to be just fine. Benjamin, I've got you. I'm going to catch you no matter what how, or how you feel. And I just want to tell that to teachers or anybody that's working with kids or anybody. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this, and school's going to be just fine. So I've got a prayer for teachers or anybody that works with students, kids, and I've got a prayer for you all. So let's go ahead and close our eyes, bow our heads. Is everybody ready? And you two in the audience, no peeking, okay? Prayer time. God, please be with our children and our teachers as they begin their new school year. This is a different school year for everyone. So please be with us, guide us to make sure that we're following your example, that I can be a great Christian role model for my students, whether I'm in the building or whether I'm doing it over the computer and virtual. Students, God's with you. God, please be with them as they learn about school and they can see that their teachers love them no matter what. Be with us always. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys did a great job. Now, Pastor Daniel always has candy down there at the bottom for you, so be careful. Don't run over each other. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That is it's certainly exciting and encouraging for school to start. Um, you know, we have not had normal school, I guess, in-person classes since Friday, March 13th. So it's, it's been um, quite, a, quite an experience, and I think probably it might be a few more months until we have regular school as well. So, but um, we, we, we do what we have to do, you know, in, in these unusual school times. Uh, I do, David Dell mentioned it here, I do want to encourage you to uh, pull out your bulletin if you haven't, so you want to go ahead and pull that, I know we have guests with us this morning, we do have a connection card, we have these black boxes there in the Welcome Center, You'll do, along with your offering, you just drop it in there, uh, maybe some of our online folks can go ahead and share our connection card, our offering, the online bulletin, so you can certainly follow along in the, uh, with the message this morning um, uh, all, everything you need, you can get it in person as well as online to certainly follow, connect here at Broadway. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 48. It's several verses today. We are in a sermon series here studying the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is an opportunity for us to dive deeper into the Scriptures. It's in many ways, it's Jesus' most well-known sermon. So it's something, if Jesus, he spent three chapters preaching it, we need to spend the time in, for us studying this. Because I believe um, 
the messages and the principles in this sermon certainly do apply to our times. Even though it's 2,000 years old, you know, God's Word does not change. It uh, applies today. It's getting ready for us going to school. And it applies a lot of life principles we're about to see right here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, and then we're really going to come back and talk about adultery, divorce, and remarriage. Those are issues that we need to know what God's Word certainly says about that. So, but we'll, have, we'll include some other things as well And that. All right, follow along in your Bible, so you want to pull it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. God's Word tells us here, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. That is the seventh commandment. That is straight out of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. God has made it very clear that we are not to commit adultery. What is adultery? I know that sounds an uh, unusual question. Adultery is when a married person has relations outside of the person they are married to. So it's not for unmarried people, it's for a married person. The Bible um, calls in the KJV for an unmarried person, that word is used fornication, and the, um, maybe our newer translations, such as the Christian Standard Bible, the NIV, it uses the word sexual immorality. That's what an unmarried person um, would be uh, referred to there. But here the command for married people, the, the marriage bed is to remain pure. And look what Jesus goes on to say. So he, what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking an Old Testament command. And then he's going to tell you what the New Testament, taking it to a new level, applying it to today. But I tell you, and here's what Jesus has to say for us. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It goes on to say, verse 30, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And we're going to come back in a little bit, and we're going to talk about this passage here. Now we get on into divorce. Verse 31, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. That is from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. The Old Testament, all, basically, there's basically about three passages in the scriptures that teach us that everything's based on with divorce and remarriage. And the first one, and this is worth writing down so you know, because anytime this topic comes up, you need to know what the Old Testament is. It's Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And then obviously we're about to see what Jesus says to that, because basically the New Testament is commentary on this Deuteronomy, explaining the Deuteronomy 24 passage. And what it says there in Deuteronomy 24 is Moses told the people, the Israelites, if they want to divorce their wife, they have to give a written notice of divorce. And what happened, what was going on in Jesus' time, is if you were not happy with your wife for any, or ev any and every reason, you could freely and easily 
get that paperwork, write it up, and give her that notice of divorce. And that's, it was becoming very easy 2,000 years ago to get divorced. And Jesus is going to talk about this. But verse 32, But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. This is what we call the exception clause. We're going to come back and talk about this passage here. It's mentioned again in Matthew 19, verse 9. There's one other exception we have in the New Testament for divorce, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. And I'll be quoting that in a little bit. So this is the exception clause here. Except in a case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there is Jesus forbidding remarriage. We're gonna, I'm going to come back and talk about this and explain. Verse 33. Tell the truth. Again, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. What that means there is Jesus is telling us that we should not swear by the Lord. This is where that's one that your oath, your word should matter. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Because back in Bible times, people were swearing by the Lord's name as if you lie the whole, your whole life. Then you can say, well, I am going to swear by the Lord. This is the truth. As if all, the, all your other speech is filled with lies, and now you've come to something you need to tell the truth to, so you invoke the Lord's name. So that's what Jesus is saying, no. But I tell you, verse 34, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And what Jesus is talking about, the passage he's pulling from this, is out of Leviticus 19.12. And, and that tells us, do not swear falsely by my name, profaming the name of your Lord God. What was going on is people were basically just going through life lying, but then when it was time to tell the truth, they would swear and use the Lord's name to invoke the Lord as saying, here's why I tell the truth. It's almost like somebody's getting sworn in and they're putting their hand on the Bible. I promise by God's word, a Bible, I'm telling the truth. Well, Jesus is saying, that's not necessary. You shouldn't have to go around putting your right hand on a Bible to tell the truth. You should be a man or a woman. If you say yes, it means yes. If you say no, it means no. Your words should have meaning. Do you know the best way to build trust? We were talking about this in staff meeting a few weeks ago. If you want to build trust with someone, it is actually very easy. All you have to do is to do what you say you're going to do. If you tell someone, I'm coming to church this morning, do you know what you should do? 
you should go to church that morning. If you tell someone in three weeks, I'm going to come to Sunday school because Sunday school starts in three weeks. Do you know what you should do? You should go to Sunday school. If you sign up for nursery, you should honor that commitment. If you get hired by an employer and they tell you to come to work at 8 o'clock, do you know what time you should show? I mean, this is so common sense. If your life is consistent with your words and your expectations, that builds trust. Jesus said, you don't need to go around swearing and making oaths and placing your hand on a Bible, using the Lord's name. He says, just if you tell somebody you're going to do it, do it. Children, if your parents, if you tell your mom and dad you're going to do something, do it. If you live a life that's honoring your words, you have built trust with other people. Listen, if you're not going to do it, then don't tell, don't tell them you are. Say, no, I'm not going to do it. If I ask you to do something, I would rather you tell me no. If somebody at the church, Zach wants to sign you up for something in the youth group, and if you're not going to do it, just say no. It's better to say no than to say yes, and then don't show up. Because then folks are like, where, where that, what happened? I know this sounds simple, but there is, there is gold in honoring your yes and honoring your no. That's what Jesus is telling you and I as believers. This should be our life. That's all we should have to say. Your words matter. You should not be somebody that when you give someone your word, you're considered flaky. Meaning, well, I don't really know if, even though they say they're going to do it, we'll, we'll find out. No. Just honor your commitments. Or just go around the rest of your life just telling everybody no. It's better to say no than lie to them. Just tell everybody no if you're not going to do it. If you're going to stay in bed all day, just tell everybody no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not getting up. Anyway, keep going. Verse 38. Here we go, going an eye for an eye, going the second mile. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is a quote here out of Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. Jesus, this is where capital punishment comes from. Capital punishment says in the book of Exodus, if you kill someone, you have to give your life for them. Especially if it was intentional killing. If you get mad and angry, well, we looked at last week, and you murder someone, well, you are responsible. If you steal from someone, you pay them back. If you poke their eye out, you're going to lose your... I mean, there's consequences for your behavior. So that's what Jesus is saying. You've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What Jesus is telling us in this past saying, goodness, what is this about? Jesus is saying, 
He's speaking about vengeance. Our lives should not be one that we harbor hate and vengeance towards people who have harmed us. If you are a victim, and at some point in our life, all of us are going to be a victim, you will be hurt. You will be disappointed. You will be let down. Jesus is saying, even though you have been hurt, you should not go the rest of your life thinking, this person hurt me. I am going to get back at them. Your life should not be one of constantly wanting to seek vengeance. God says vengeance is the Lord's. Ultimate vengeance, ultimate justice will come. And it will come at judgment with Jesus Christ. We are not to live as vengeful people who are angry and always wanting to stick it back to the person who's hurt us. Now, yes, we have a court system. Yes, there's justice. Yes, there's times that needs to be used. You know, if someone commits a crime, they need to go on trial. There needs to be accountability for that. Jesus is saying, I'll give you all a perfect example. Well, three days ago, the kids were throwing pillows in the house. Has that ever happened to your house? Somebody's throwing stuff around. Well, and we had these gift baskets up on a ledge. A pillow, of course, it, it flies over. It knocks over these gift baskets. And do you know what's below the gift basket? The water bowl. The dog, that's the dog water bowl. So, you know, obviously, if the children hadn't been throwing pillows around the house, it wouldn't have hit the gift basket, which would then wouldn't have fallen into the dog's water bowl. Now, how we respond to a situation like that, Yes, it was an accident, but yes, it's also true. If you're not throwing things, these things would not happen. There are some accidents, and some things are somewhat silly that would have been very preventable. We as believers need discernment of saying, okay, that probably wasn't very wise. Yes, it was a big mess. Yes, that ruins things, but that's not the end of the world. Now, you're driving home from church and you are in an accident and you're hit by a drunk driver and someone in your car is killed. That's radically different than tossing pillows around the living room and knocking stuff into the dog's water bowl and making a big mess and ruining stuff. That's going into the justice system. Harboring anger over some things Jesus is saying, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You teach children, you teach adults a lesson here, but you do not live your life as a vengeful believer. That's what the, Jesus is saying here. Don't let that become an enemy of someone. Keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 43. You've heard that it was uh, said, love your neighbor. Jesus quoted that as the second commandment. That is out of Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be children 
of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, when the sun sets, it's, it's setting on us and the evil, those who are evil. When it rains, even the unrighteous still experience the rain. That's why even blessings come to people who do not love and honor the Lord. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do that? They even go out and speak to folks. Jesus says here in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is calling us. He's calling you and I to perfection. What that means is there is nothing for if someone does not like you, if you have an enemy, if you have someone that's harboring hatred or animosity between two people, Jesus is telling us that you need to love that person. Your person who's an enemy, what do you do to them? You pray for them. He's essentially telling us to kill people, not with a weapon, but you kill them with kindness. Someone that gossips about you, someone that strikes you, someone that's malicious at work or at school this coming week, that maybe says something mean or hurtful, Jesus cares how we respond. He does not want us to fire back at them, to put them down, to pick a fight with them. He's calling you and I to basically say, I'm not going to play this game. You might not like me, but I'm not going to live a life of hating you. If I don't like you, I'm just going to pray for you. Do you know if you start praying for people, it is hard to hate someone and dislike someone that you are praying for every day. Think about who do you not like? Start praying for them. Just lift them up to the Lord. And the only person that needs to know that is you and the Lord. You don't have to tell them you're praying for them. You shouldn't tell them you're praying for them. And watch God remove that hate Remove that animosity that you have towards them. And all of a sudden, you might not become their best friend. You might not go out to eat with them. But you will not have strong, evil, hurtful feelings towards them. Jesus is telling you and I. Look at this. This is the main point in that last passage. You should not have enemies. Who is our? We actually do have one enemy. Do you know who our one enemy is? It's the devil. You know, God has created all humans in the image of Him and His Son. Jesus died for them. When we see someone that is a brother or a sister in Christ whom Jesus died on this cross and He wants them saved, just like He are saved, we should not see somebody is that somebody I hate and I dislike? If you have an enemy, you need to start praying for that person. And only you and the Lord need to know that. And watch God melt away that, that 
that hate, that, that dislike that you harbor in your heart towards them. There should not be an enemy in your life. If you dislike someone, that's your fault, Jesus is saying. It's not their fault. You control your emotions. You control your feelings. Your attitude is something you have control over. And Jesus is looking inside of our hearts. And he is saying, okay, the problem's you. Even if they've hurt you, God cares how we respond. That's what it means when he says, be perfect because I am perfect. He's calling us to a life of perfection. And Jesus' perfection was loving one another, loving our neighbors, loving people who were different than us. And I want to tell you, if you watch the news, if you follow the news, the goal of the news is to stir up hatred and just rile you up against, pitch you against other people. You need to be careful watching the news. Because if you turn off the TV and you're going to bed mad or you're going about angry, that is not what Christ expects for us. That's not what He wants us to live like. We do not have enemies. We don't. Christ does not want you and I to live a life filled with enemies. Now, let's tie in this with divorce. I bet if you're divorced, you might think, I've got some enemies. Her whole side of the family hates me. Or he, he, the way he treated me, of course he's my enemy. Go back here in this passage here about divorce. Because we live in a divorce culture. You will have family members. You might go through one yourself. You will have children or grandchildren that are forced to answer this question. And we as believers, we need to know what the Bible says. And the Bible is actually very clear on it. It's not a mystery. It's not something that you have to dig very deep in the Scriptures. It's not a, something to solve. And you can follow along here on your, your bulletin search. But Jesus is telling us the actual root of actual divorce starts with lust. It starts out with lust and leads to adultery, and then adultery leads to divorce, and divorce will actually lead down to remarriage, and you find yourself just going down this road that you really did not, when you got married, signed up at all uh, to be a part of. We have to remember, where did marriage come from? Marriage came from Genesis 2.24. God took a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, and he created the first marriage. Marriage is not something instituted by the state. The Commonwealth of Kentucky did not create marriage. God performed and created the first marriage. I believe marriages should happen in the house of God because it's instituted by God and it should be surrounded uh, by God's people because it's a celebration of two, two believers coming together and you're creating what Genesis 2.24 describes as a one flesh relationship. And Jesus tells us in Mark 10.9 what God has joined together let man not separate. Divorce is not part of God's plan. You say, well, Daniel, what about the exception? What about what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1? 
That is true. Moses did say, you can write a certificate of divorce. Jesus gave an exception here in Matthew 5, 32. He says, if you want to divorce your wife, that's okay. But the only reason, well, he didn't say it's okay, but he says, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you do. But the only case for divorce is sexual immorality. And then you say, what about remarriage? If I'm divorced, can I get remarried? That's there, the latter part of verse 32. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus is telling you and I is he's saying divorce in Bible times was become very casual because the folks there, the Jews were quoting Deuteronomy 24 verse 1. It says, as long as I write the certificate, I'll just send her away. I have found something displeasing with my wife. I'm no longer happy in this marriage anymore. Jesus is saying, no, you should not per pursue divorce. And if you do pursue divorce, if you are adamant about getting divorced, the only exception here is sexual immorality. And even then, if you do go and get divorced over sexual immorality, the latter part of verse 32, it says if you get remarried, it's adultery, meaning it's wrong. Jesus is telling you and I, we should not be pursuing divorce, and we should not be pursuing remarriage. Say, so, Dan, what happens if I'm married to someone, and they run off with someone else? And they divorce me. They pursue divorce. Well, that would qualify here. You've gotten divorced over sexual immorality, but it does not permit you to get remarried. The thing about remarriage in the Bible, never once do we see anything positive from the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is found in Deuteronomy 24, verse 4, is about remarriage. Here, we see it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and remarriage comes up again in Matthew 19, verse 9. Nothing positive is ever said about remarriage. Never are believers, are folks in the Old Testament, commanded to get remarried. You don't see it. Now, some folks will say, well... If my divorce qualified under the exception clause, and there's two exception clauses in the Bible, the one right here in Matthew 5.32, and then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7.15, I think I have it up here on the screen, 1 Corinthians 7.15, but if the unbeliever leaves, so say you're married to an unbeliever, let him leave, meaning... If they run off, if you're married to a lost person and they just, they abandon you, abandonment. A brother or sister is not bound in such a case. God has called you to live in peace. Meaning if they've left you and they've moved on and they're a lost person, allow them, I mean, just accept that, that, that they're gone. There's, there's no point in trying to re um, reunite in that marriage. The problem with that passage is Paul is writing there that you were married to a lost person and that lost person left you. 
we, if you continue reading on, it says then that you shouldn't get remarried. It just says you should then live in your new state as a divorced person or as a single person, that the person has left you. Never in the Old Testament or the New Testament is anything positive stated or declared about remarriage. So a God's plan for us about divorce and remarriage, we should live our lives understanding that marriage is a one flesh relationship for life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says only actually death releases you from marriage. When you get married, someone walks down this aisle and you're handing your, your daughter, your son to marriage, that is for their entire life. It's not something for until things you know, get rough, for a few years, for a decade or two. No, it's a commitment that a man and woman are making for eternity. And a marriage is between one man and one woman. That's the biblical definition of marriage. We, as Christians, if you know of folks who's maybe they're considering divorce, maybe you have children or grandchildren, that their marriage is it's struggling. What do you do? First of all, I think we should show them these scriptures I just went over. You should let them know what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage, including what Genesis 2.24 tells us about how God created marriage and he, brings, he brought the first marriage and performed it himself with Adam and Eve. We should encourage people to remain married. We should be praying for people in their marriage. We, our lives should not be encouraging people to get divorced and remarried over and over. That's not God's plan for us. Now you say, well, Dan, what happened? Say I'm remarried. What does that mean? Do you remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? And she had been married five times in John chapter 4. And he told her, says, yeah, you've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. He acknowledged that she had been married five times. Living, being married multiple times, even though it's not right, it's still a marriage. You don't go and divorce, say you've been married your second, third, fourth marriage. You don't go and divorce your current husband and go remarry your first or second. You stay, you ask for forgiveness, you acknowledge that this wasn't God's plan. It wasn't, I wasn't following the scriptures. But then you repent of it. You make sure you're not harboring any animosity or any, having any enemies, hatred in your heart. And you move forward with your life and your wife and your husband and you serve the Lord. You, you, God forgives any sin. Even failed marriages, He forgives. And remarriages, He forgives. You, you confess the sin. You acknowledge it wasn't following God's plan. You got the scriptures. And then you live your life serving the Lord with the person you're married to. The Bible is telling us we should not be pursuing divorce and we should not be pursuing remarriage. That 
is the Scriptures, what Jesus is saying. Jesus was combating the, old, the Pharisees were trying to use Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 as an excuse to basically freely and easily go out and divorce your wife and move on. There's a permanence in marriage. Malachi chapter 3 describes it as a covenant. A covenant is a commitment you're making with your wife, your husband, that you are saying, till death do us part, we will work together. And marriage is hard. This will never be easy. Of course, it's, you may, anybody's been married 40, 50, 60 years. Of course, there were times in their life that they were ready to throw in the towel. They were frustrated. They were angry. They were mad. But we as believers, we are called to be grounded in God's Word. And we want our marriages, you want your marriage, to be based on the Bible. God is very clear about divorce. He's very clear about the sin of lust. He's very clear about the sin of remarriage. And I think we as believers, we need to be able to encourage our family members and our friends. This is what happens, what I have seen over the years. I'll use our family's example. Let's just say, well, I'll use a pretend child. Let's say we had a fifth child. We, we aren't, but we... And she was a little girl, and we'll name her Karen. Karen grows up. Pick a non-biblical name. Sherry, I have a new daughter named Karen. Karen's 25 years old, and she's been married for three or four years. And it finds out that Karen's husband, his name's Tom, he's been cheating on her. And she comes to mom and dad, me. Now I'm 70-something years old. And my prized fifth child, little Karen here, is 25 years old. I, will, I, I officiate the wedding. Sherry was right there handing, handing off Karen, our daughter. We were right there on the front pew in the sanctuary. And I can't believe this has happened. How mom and dad respond to that situation has great impact on whether or not Karen will remain married. Parents, grandparents, if you are encouraging your children and your grandchildren to get divorced, if you're allowing them, when they're having hard times at home, to come move in with you, if you're providing a safe haven for them to basically get away from their spouse, you are actually indirectly pushing them towards divorce. If you, if you watch how people get divorced, usually mom or dad or other family members or best friends are right there encouraging it along. We as Christians, we as people who are grounded on God's Word, when that happens, when little Karen, baby number five, comes to mom and dad, mom and dad, we need to be able to share these Scriptures with our children. They need to know what God says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And you need to sit there at the kitchen table when they're upset 
and they're having problems, and open up your Bibles, and let's see what God says. You say, Pastor, there's a million, there's so many situational ethics that you're forgetting about. Absolutely, there's a million and one situations. But we have to remember, what is marriage? Marriage was created by God. It is a one flesh union that God brought together. If God can create marriage, surely I believe He can sustain it. I mean, if God brought a man and a woman together, do you not trust the Lord to restore and to mend and to save your marriage, your children's marriage, your grandchildren's marriage? Guys, where's our trust in the Lord? We trust Him for our salvation. We trust Him for our church. We trust Him with every other area. I'm asking you, God is asking you, do you trust me with your marriage? Or are you going to look at this situation and say, Pastor, you don't know how bad this person is. You don't know how wrong they've hurt me. Of course you've been hurt. Jesus is acknowledging that. He's calling us to take the high road and in every area of our life to strive for perfection. And that includes our most innermost relationships, the foremost being your marriage. God's calling you and I. He's asking you and I to live our lives by Scripture. This morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I want you to give your marriage to the Lord. I want you to trust your children's marriage and your grandchildren's marriage to God. And there's a lot of marriages, especially right now. I was reading a newspaper article last week how divorces in this quarantine pandemic are actually going up. A lot of folks are losing their jobs, a lot of hard times. And this is an opportunity for you and I, those that we know that are struggling in their marriage, that we share the Scripture and we pray for their marriage and we remind them the permanence. We remind them the covenantal, one flesh union that Jesus spoke about in remaining married. I want you to respond to the Lord. I want every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you want to get saved, if you want to give your marriage, if you want to give your relationships to God, now is, the, now is the time that you can respond to Him. You pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my marriage. Lord, if I have sinned in this area, forgive me. I want you. I want to follow you. Lord, I trust you. Jesus, I pray that you save me, that you forgive me, and I live all my days for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've prayed and responded to Jesus, if you've trusted him as your Savior, I want to hear from you. For our online crowd, you can send a message to our church Facebook page. Folks here, you felt your little connection card, just let me know there at the door and drop it in the black box. You can make a commitment. You can make a promise to the Lord. 
and he will honor that, just as you can give your marriage to God. We're going to have a closing song. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. David Dale is going to close this out, and it's a great way. Remember, in three weeks, we start Sunday school. That's going to be on September 13th. Sunday school will be at 9.15, and our new time for worship will be at 10.30. David? We'll sing the chorus of I Surrender All. I surrender.